Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity, and this is our fun CISO Thursdays. I'm Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, um, helping amazing cybersecurity leaders hire great talent. We have guests, we have awesomeness. I am going to start off with Naomi. Oh, no, it's AJ's moment. Let's just start well, with AJ. Well, we're waiting for people to come in. We're waiting for people All to right, come okay, in. All right, okay, yeah. We're going to go around. <laughs> I'm going to be last. Yeah, I'll warm up act. Yeah, we're warming <laughs> it up. <laughs> go ahead, Naomi. Hey, I'm Naomi. Uh, what's up, guys? I'm actually a customer of AJ, so I'll let him talk about his company more. But excited to be here. Thanks, Renee, as always. Love, yeah. be- love being here on Thursdays. It's so much fun. And James Azar. What's up, people of LinkedIn? Hi, Naomi. Hi, AJ. Hi, Renee. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hi. It's Thursday. It's Thursday. It's Thursday fun day. This is it's, our fun day. It's it's my favorite day of the week. It's Thursday. <laughs> I'll tell you too. why, because I don't do a practitioner brief tomorrow. So I get to like enjoy my Friday morning. I don't got to wake up at 5 a.m. to do this. Like Renee texted me, I think at like 430 this morning. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like we're not normal people like most are people are asleep. we're like we're like we're, we're worried about insurgency we're like sitting with our guns like where are the people going where are the zombies where's the zombies i was, I was sending you guys messages 3 30 here's the link i here's saw the yeah i was like don't you sleep <laughs> there is no sleeping going on right now apparently and our Guest for today, Mr. Brand New CEO, AJ Yon. Say hi to everybody, AJ. Hello, LinkedIn. Thank you for the warm welcome and my phone going off. Um, You're busy. It's hype music. music. (laughs) I I told somebody this yesterday. My phone wasn't as crazy as it was yesterday since at Florida State we beat Duke at home when I was playing on the basketball team when they were number one in the country. And that was the last time my phone was as crazy as it was yesterday. It's uh, awesome. it's been amazing. Been a cool, cool twenty four hours. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Totally. So AJ, before as we get started, we we shout out some people. I mean you've been here before, so you know how this goes. Chibuki yep. says hi guys hey and Bryant says hello Naomi he's not even talking to the rest of us Dang. he just says hello Brian. Naomi <laughs> I paid him I paid him to say that so, people hey, come here for Naomi like where's exactly. your false side pieces like just understand that like we, oh, we know our roles here we I'm know happy our to play back up to Naomi though it's, oh it's gosh about Naomi here. Well, we're going to kick it off with two things we're going to do today. We're going to give let AJ do a, a shameless plug in the beginning and in the end. And then we're going to talk about Naomi's hot, the hottest topic, job descriptions again. I mean, Naomi, you've been doing a lot of research recently. There's been job descriptions that you, we, I think there was 43% of those entry level jobs that only have that say they need five years of experience. Yeah, let's talk about that. I got the data, man, to back it up. Let's talk about it. So ridiculous. All right, AJ, first up, AJ, and then James, as usual, will be our uh, our hype man. So AJ, yeah. kick it off. Tell us about your business. It's it's all, it's, it's oh, look who's joining. Looky, looky. <laughs> yeah, it looks like you just got out of bed, Chris. <laughs> Should I shut him off? <laughs> <laughs> hey, <look at> <laughs> <here>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
AJ, it's all you right now. Awesome. Well, well, thank you uh, for for allowing me to do this. Uh, definitely not not needed. But so so Bite Check is a cybersecurity compliance assessment uh, platform uh, that we're our slogan is really what we do. We we make compliance suck less uh, by eliminating evidence collection, taking away all that manual stuff that you go through in the cybersecurity audit. Those those long meetings with auditors where they have no idea about the technology you have and they're asking all these crazy questions. Get rid of all of that. The Bite Check platform connects directly to the, the apps that you're using, like AWS, GitHub, Jira, et cetera, and, and focuses on security. Like these compliance assessments cost a lot of money. They are manual and they take up a lot of time. So at least they should focus on security and get some value out of them. And that's what we're doing here at Bite Check. Awesome. Brilliant, AJ. I'm excited to see a demo, buddy. Whenever, well, let's we can let's uh let's do it right before the podcast we do together, <laughs> <laughs> or we do a live on the podcast. There we go. We well, it's it's Veteran November, so we'll stick to veterans and and, and a little cyber, but yeah, we we will. Totally, totally, AJ. Thank you so much for that. Uh, shouting out some more people who are here. So Brian is laughing at us because he we told him, hey. You better care about us all. So he says he really cares about all of us. <laughs> hello, everybody. Uh, Steph Barris says, hello, everyone's here. Yes, we're here. Great to see you. Keith, good morning from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hello, Keith. Oh, all right. Some good-looking people there. Saying hi. I know. It's a lot of good folks in here. Um, Naomi. Yeah, hi. Let's get, What's up? Let's get with the data. This is yeah, nice. yeah. I, I'm glad this the timing was perfect. I had forgotten about CISO Thursdays. I, I apologize. So, <laughs> uh, so there is a first of all, the only reason why I was able to get this data is because LinkedIn has a replayable CRS CSRF CSRF token. So, if they fix their CSRF token at any point, like I would not be able to get this information. So, <laughs> um, I've already you know emailed LinkedIn. I'm like, you guys can replay your CSRF tokens. They're like, oh, that's fine. I was like. <laughs> okay, well, Yay. let's let's continue. So I uh, basically went on the LinkedIn API. There's a hidden API. If you guys do view source, you can find it. But it's the Voyager API, and you can just send in any authenticated GET request and, and hit all their endpoints. Like, it's insane. But I found a couple, and I, I just played around until I found some. Um, I found profiles. I found, um, you know, job things. So, one, so the other day, I just went through a thousand random job postings for information security jobs. And I broke down the data since it's all JSON anyway. I just broke it all down and I found out uh, what we all know from anecdotal evidence that entry level cybersecurity is roles are kind of a joke. I mean, it's like on average, five years of experience is expected. And 43% of these entry level job postings require the CISSP. And so just hit, hit you guys with those two data points. Like, what do you think? Is this surprising to you or is this like. <laughs> more ridiculous than so ever ridiculous. Like, it's yeah. beyond sad you know you know for an entry-level position you need five years minimum experience let <laughs> that sink in for a minute how ridiculous is that let's define entry level yeah that's true like it can there be entry level in cyber what do you guys think i think so i think the reason why companies put entry level is because they want to pay entry level prices, but they want to hire someone with higher skills. They want someone with a CISP or some experience, but they want to put entry level so that they can offer a way lower salary than what that person deserves. And 
Um, I think entry level should exist in cybersecurity and it should be real entry level. Like, hey, this person doesn't know much, but they're interested. They want to do well in the field. Maybe they have one cert or maybe they're just thinking about getting a cert. And, you know, I think there's so many other fields where you can just get in by being uh, interested. And in cybersecurity, we're like, you need every cert. You need to have you no know, 12 languages and we need you to have a master's. And also you need to be 18 and only accept $40,000. Like it's just <laughs> things don't go together. <laughs> It's crazy. Well, Aja, do you think that's because people don't understand security? So what ends up happening is HR and uh, the, the, the corporate governance ends up setting the standard for hiring people, right? And the standard is unreal. And a lot of times it could be because their first security person had spoke 12 languages, had every cert, right? Yeah. And, and did that and they go, well, we, we had him like, you know, it's like having Tom Brady and then, you know, whoever comes after Tom Brady, right? Like, <laughs> like now you want to hire Tom Brady's. <laughs> yep. That happens much more often than you all may think. Um, that is something that happens very, very often where I've had to push back on leaders a number of times because they have Tom Brady. They had the person that grew up, literally grew up in the role. And when they first started out, they had one year, two years, whatever. They grew, they acquired all these skills over five years, seven years, and then they revert back and say, oh, this is an entry-level role. I'm like, well, the person who just left is not entry-level anymore. That person is, when when they first showed up, he or she had two years experience. So you're looking at trying to get, you know, you're trying to get a person who is not, who has grown, who's grown, you're, you're, you're getting a 15-year-old, you're asking for a 10-year-old Sorry, you're asking for a 15 year old that was 10 when they started. <laughs> yep. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you kind of have to take that, what you're saying, under consideration of the fact that um, some of us ch have a challenge in filling roles when it comes to budgets, right? So, I mean, you talk to any CISO who sits in any. any, any company, I don't care which one, unless you're a huge fortune you know, 100 with a, with a multi-million dollar security budget, you've got to decide what roles you want to hire for, what you want to outsource, what you want to automate, what you want to kind of, you know, get tools for. And then you're trying to find unicorns to fill specific needs because contract work, like I think most of you would agree, doesn't always work. Yep. Contract work is, is typically a recipe for success, uh, for failure. I'm Sorry. Sorry. That was like Freud. That was so like Freudian in, in nature. Like it's 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 like failure, right? I mean, it, 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 that's what it is. It's failure because the more you outsource, the more you 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 um, the more you outsource, and the more you you give out outside of your org, the less continuity you have in your stacks, and yep. and and the less continuity you're able to build off of, and so you end up with a you end up with a challenge. Yeah, I think it's a it's a lot about people not understanding what they need. Like you said, they want a unicorn, but they might not need a unicorn. They might just need someone with a, a certain set of skills. Um, and I and I'm not trying to give companies a way out because I think they should improve their job descriptions. But my I guess not I don't know if it's not popular opinion is that folks that are trying to break into cybersecurity have to just decide they're going to stop going down that route and blind applying and trying to use those job descriptions and 
find other ways and creative ways to get in contact with hiring managers and, and get in contact with people because we've been talking about job descriptions for so long, um, for a really long time. And uh, I think that's, it's, it's going to be a problem for a while. Like it, it's, it's not going to go away for a while. So we got to, folks that are looking for jobs have to figure out different ways to use LinkedIn or use other tools to uh, get in front of the right people. I agree with you. This job description thing has been going on forever. And it's funny when I first started, um, when I first started my company, I wanted to train HR people. Like the whole purpose of me starting out was, hey, I want to have this consulting thing, go to HR, train HR people, tell them how to, you know, write good job descriptions, do all this stuff. But guess what? Nobody cared. <laughs> they were like, we don't want that. We Can you recruit for us, though? We need the body. I'm like, I can teach you to fish. I can fish for you. They're like, yeah, we, we yeah. So it's unfortunate. Tons of great comments coming in. So I'm going to show some here. Uh, let's see. I blame part of it. Safair's always here. I blame part of it on people who have experience but willing to take jo those jobs because they need a job. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, I've been talking to a lot of applicants and they're just about to quit job searching in cyber. And it breaks my heart because these people are really passionate. They have masters in cybersecurity. And I literally had one guy talk to me and he was like, you know, I'm about four months away from graduating with my masters and I'm about to quit. It's just so frustrating trying to get jobs. I was like, no, 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 don't quit. Like you're all, you're so close. Um, you know, and like what kind of things aren't working for you? I'm hearing, you know, I, I'm just applying and no one's getting back to me. I'm getting ghosted. The stuff I, I am trying to put out there, people are just ignoring. So people who um, are experiencing that, they just get so frustrated. And so when they do end up getting a job, it's not even related to what they want to do. And then they either get stuck in that job and they, they still can't break out and break into cyber. So it's like, it's doubly impossible. It's like an impossible task for them. Well, you, when someone's looking for a job and they need a job, they need money. This is their livelihood. Right. And I don't know how many of y'all had to struggle for your bread. I know I did. Nothing was ever given easy to, to me personally, right? I mean, I had a period in time where I was homeless, sleeping in my car, right? And that was a decade ago, literally a decade ago, right? So 10 years ago, I didn't have a house. I was a VP of a company and I was sleeping in my car. But when you need a job, you don't care what job comes in. You don't care what it pays. You want the job because you want to get the money. You want to get back to working and you want to feel productive. Beyond the money, it's about self-confidence. How long can someone sit without a job and still maintain their worth or their self-confidence. I mean, that's the challenge of COVID. If we just deviate off of that, what the, the lockdowns and COVID did is they eliminated a lot of worth to a lot of people and confidence. It destroyed businesses. It, it People were laid off and they couldn't find jobs. They couldn't do anything. So they sink into alcohol and drugs and all kinds of other remedies, right? So, you know, it, 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 it's a comment that I go like, you can't blame those people because people want to work. People want to feel productive. They want to contribute. Um, it, we, we can't solve this problem per se in any way, but talking about it, informing people and hoping that the trickle down effect of change takes place yeah. because we can't regulate people of, on how to get paid. That's not how the free market works, Right. We, we can't go to companies and force them to do something. It's a private business. They're entitled to pay and put out whatever they want. But what yeah. we can do is we can come together 
as a community and educate in the conversation we're having right now, where AJ, Naomi, Renee, and Chris, the, the, the five of us, and everyone who's watching, that's people who can take this conversation forward to their break room, to their Slack channel, and educate the HR people. Because HR people watch this stuff. They know. They see. So letting that come in and making them part of the conversation helps kind of eliminate some of that. But you, but you can't blame people for taking a job because you know we're, we're dealing with people who don't have jobs, who would do anything for a job. And so any job they can get, they're going to take. Here, here, James for president. That was amazing. Well said. We, we James, put him James up last president. week. We put James for president up last week. Oh, we he put did. Him up. Did he win? We, we voted. Well, they're still counting the votes. <laughs> they're still counting the votes. There's some irregularities with the software he's, right now. He's in Atlanta. I'll <laughs> just see down there. It's I okay. have um, one thing I saw that recently or a few months ago is uh, Jonathan Rao, who's a, a cloud security manager at IHS Market. He posted a few jobs and he actually wrote the job descriptions. And he took it out on his own as the cloud security manager and leader to write the job descriptions. And they were great job descriptions. Like it was really ex explained what he needed what you need to be interested in. And I think that's part of the fix is we can push it more on us security professionals to say, HR, I got this. Like I need to hire this person, but let me write the job description because I don't need a CISSP. I don't need you to have 12 AWS certs. Like I, we're not even hosted on AWS. Like the security manager could actually get more involved. I think that's how we help to slowly bridge this gap. And then on the other end, like, you know, the candidates, you know, you have, you have a role in this. Um, you have a role into trying to find a better way to to get in. But um, I think if we expect HR to get better at writing job descriptions for security professionals, it's it's never going to happen. Yeah. Don't hold your breath at all. <laughs> Do you feel that um, HR managers, I mean, security managers claim that you're too busy too often to, to sit down and write those? So they just pass the buck on? I don't think anybody's too busy to do anything. I think it's about time management. Uh, most people are doing 12 things at once, and which is why they can't do anything. But if you sit down and decide, I'm going to spend 20 minutes writing a job description, you'll get it done. But if you write a job description, check your email, get on Slack, go on LinkedIn, respond to somebody else, check your check a check a log that came in. Oh, alert over here. Like we're squirrels sometimes in the security industry where we just bounce around. And um, I think it's focus. I think it's a focus problem. Whenever somebody tells me they're too busy, I'm like, all right, what did you do today? Let's let's start from the beginning. Let's start from when you woke up. And then you can find probably like three, four hours, uh, you know, throughout the day where they wasted time. Um, something I learned really early in the military, I had a boss who like was really uh, a battalion commander who was just all about managing our time and making sure that we were actually effectively using our time. And I think anybody, not just security managers, when you say you're too busy, like really peel back the curtain and see what, what you're doing and what you're doing with your time because you probably wasted some time in there. Yeah, same with security people who say they work 80 hours a week. I'm like, that is just really unsustainable. Like <laughs> podcasters and content creators, like that's different. But security managers and security practitioners who are like 80 hours in a day like or a week, I'm like, how do you do that? That's ridiculous. That's well, why you burn out. Security jobs 24-7, 365, right? We're, we're all on call. Yeah. You're on um, call, but you're not like sitting there in front of the I, sim and like, right. you know. You're, absolutely. And I think a lot of times you get an alert and it takes you two seconds to look at it and go, okay, we're done. Right. <laughs> like it's taken two minutes, but people have a tendency to over-exaggerate. And I'll go back to the comment about, there's a comment in here and, and maybe you can pull it up. Um, it's by Andre Harris, Renee, where he said that he's turned down jobs for, um, for more because 
he, he wants more money. Yeah. And, and there's an aspect of that sometimes where I've met candidates who've showed up to the job and they're like, yeah, I, I want to make, you know, what, what's your salary expectations? And they go, uh, 150. And you're like, okay, like, um, real world here. Uh, let's ring a bell. Um, the, it's an analyst job. It's an analyst role. Like, you know, no one's paying 150 grand for an analyst. <laughs> like there's also an aspect of, um, people who are trying to get people to go into security saying, you can make a ton of money, go get your certs and you can make 150 grand a year. And let's speak the truth. That's not the case. You got to get experience. You got to eat, you got to eat crap along the way. You know, you're going to have to do some mundane jobs that are very boring, but you got to earn your stripes. AJ and I were in the military, right? You don't, you don't come in as an E7. <laughs> yeah. No one comes in as an, you come in as an E1, E2, if you're lucky. Yeah. Right? I think that there's so many um, that, uh, and, I, and I'm to your point, to your point, James, that there's so many people and so many boot camps and so many universities that are selling pipe dreams to a lot of these um, prospective students. Um, and that's what is really, to me, that's one of the really painful parts because a lot of these folks, you know, to, to James, they were kind of like you, like they're like, they, they're working two, three jobs, they're doing all this stuff. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then they're working, you know, they may have children, they may have whatever, they're working at a Target, they're working at a Walmart. And then they get, they're going to school because they believe that they can have this jump right and make this this bigger salary because this university told them that and then when they get in there on the way out or afterwards you realize like this isn't really what it seems and that that to me is so deceptive and i know people you know universities are making a living too or they're selling a, a product too or a service um but i think it's really really unfortunate because those are the part of the reason why chris and i started this podcast is because it was those people that showed up that thought, hey, I'm going to make, you know, I know I'm at Target making 20 bucks, 15, whatever dollars an hour. And they're telling me I can make 90 or 100 or whatever. And some of the companies will pay that for some of the roles. I have seen some entry level straight out of college, four year degree candidates making six figures, but it's tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah. It's minimal. It's certain universities that have programs that partner with people. You know, some universities they do, but it's very, very small. And the vast amount of everyone else is starting in a true entry-level role. And I think that that's where um, a lot of the disconnect is. And it's unfortunate. Totally yeah. unfortunate. That's, that's a good point. The comments slid up, Renee. All right, yeah. folks, let's get the comments going. And let's see here. So... Good morning, Andre. We talked about you already. <laughs> David says recruiting and retaining should be the standard. I agree. Um, this is somebody. Matt says hire Tom Brady at a rookie level salary. Good right. luck. <laughs> right. Well, that's what we're trying if to do. If you hire like a Tom Brady clone and he doesn't know he's Tom Brady yet. <laughs> yeah. Right. Tom Brady before he got dra drafted. I'm drafted. Like, like Michigan Tom Brady. Like totally. Michigan Tom Brady or, or Tom Brady after the draft, like Tom Brady as a Drew Bledsoe backup. Right. Yeah. Wasn't he undrafted, Tom Brady? No, he was the sixth. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, you guys like know your sports. 199. Okay. I am in like the wrong. One, My goodness. Like, look, if you go to Boston, every guy, every guy who ever goes to Boston goes to the TB12 gym. Like, that is just. Like, Chris had to leave. Bye, Chris. 
Um, <laughs> you go to TB12 gym, Naomi. You yeah. go to Tom Brady's gym, which is in downtown Boston, and you buy some supplements, and you're like, how do I land a Brazilian like Tom Brady? <laughs> And, 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 and that's that. Right. So Andre, actually, he has a couple comments here that I want to put all together. So he says, as someone trying to break into the cybersecurity sector, I've experienced this when applying for positions. Um, and it was extremely frustrating with meaning like the five year asking for five years. And then he, you know, the other comment was around turning down roles, but then down here, he says, I, um, let's see. He says, um, I, wanted, I wanted the money. There were a couple of points. I just want to make sure he has, I get them all together. He what? turned down some balls and he said they wanted to pay 40K, but he had, you know, I want to be making money so much. Is this because I don't want to take a job holding five certifications, 10 years of IT experience, 15 years of management experience for $40,000 a year? You're absolutely right, Andre. But, yeah. but at the very beginning, when, like that's a role you shouldn't have even interviewed for, right? Like that should have been like something like, Oh, you know, a 40,000 a year job is what, like an analyst, like who gets paid 40 in cyber? Yeah. Nobody, but they try, they try to put it out there. I mean, that's what companies try to do. They try to lowball you and get you as less money as possible. Right. No, but if you've got like 10, five certs and 10 years of experience, right. uh, There's no reason in the world why anyone Yep. Uh, should should offer you 40. And there's yep. no reason why, you, you know, in a proper HR process, there's no reason you'd be in that job interview. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and sometimes I got to tell you this, sometimes leaders, you know, like when you go to, to, to look at a house and I'm thinking about this because I just came from looking at a house. So when you go look at a house and you know, like it's way over your budget, but you still want to see it anyway, like, ooh, yeah. I want this. And so leaders, the worst thing you could do, <laughs> the worst thing you could do to yourself. Leaders no house that. in your budget is going to be the same ever again. <sighs> leaders yep. do that all the time. They look at people, some of them, not everybody, not you wonderful leaders here, but some leaders, they look at people and they're like, oh, well, you know, this person applied. And I'm like, well, this person's, you know, comp range is X and it's this back and forth thing. And then they still want to see the person and what have you. And they said, well, they, well, they applied. And, it's, and, and I, you know, as a recruiter, I'm, and, and I'm setting expectations all the time, setting expectations with the leader, setting expectations with the individual. This is a $150,000 individual, and this is the kind of comp that they're accustomed to getting. You know that you have, you know, a, a, a 90K job or a 100K job or even 120K job. And it's like, hey, this person may very well take this role for whatever reason. Maybe they're out of work right now. But as soon as that market turns around and they can get that 150, 175, They're you out. just had somebody, you know, that's overqualified, bored, you know, mm-hmm. all these various things. So, again, it's like con- consultative, but people at the end of the day kind of do what they want to do. And that's one of these areas where, you know, I have to hold the leader accountable too. like, hey, you, you know, you're going down a road here, especially if a person says that this is what they're accustomed to getting. Um, more comments. Lincoln says, well said, AJ. That's what's needed. We need folks who understand the job requirement actually right in the description. I 100% agree with that. I think eight, James and I talked about this, I believe, last week about um, that other CISO job that we had posted up that was an entry-level CISO role. Um, which is <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, folks. It was a CISO role and it was entry-level. I think they pay you 45 a year. <laughs> 
and then for every day without an incident, you get a five hundred dollars spiff, and, and and then for for a breach, you get a pink slip, a PR press release, and no opportunity to be a right. CISO ever again. Good luck, right? <laughs> exactly. Wow. <laughs> One of the ladies here says, I think this was, I'm trying to look at Anita made a comment. Um, she talked about people not knowing their worth and are willing to take whatever's offered to them. We should all should understand the value we bring to the organization. That's another, I think, really valid point. Like knowing how much a role, how much, again, setting that expectation. Like these are the types of interns. I had this thing with interns this summer where I'm working with some, you know, trying to bring some interns on. And interns were asking for a whole lot of money. I was like, uh. <laughs> uh interesting about the, the data that I looked at, there are only four internship positions out of the thousand that I queried. And that is just ridiculously low, right? Now, of Naomi, course, the internships, how far, how sorry, far back? How, yeah. Did you go back to like the beginning? I actually of don't know. I think it's whatever the API decided to give me, but okay. um, it, it, they do expire. So if you look at the data itself, it doesn't have an expiration date, but they can just yeah. repost it. So it's kind of hard to see how old yeah, it but, is. But internships any- during COVID has gone down significantly. That I could mean, be everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Could be it. Yeah. Were there any apprenticeships? No, it was just like intern is one of the categories. So it was just one of the things. Yeah. It's yeah. like entry level and intern. Yeah. They probably put them together. If there's in- apprenticeships involved, they probably Maybe, would put yeah. them under an intern. But or an the intern, level. there was only four, and uh, I thought that was ridiculous. We should do yeah. a way better job out of a thousand getting people internships. I think those are a great way to get someone a resume bullet. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a huge, you know, uh, commitment for the organization, and it's a great way just to kind of get your feet wet um, in a in a low threat environment, low threat role. But yep. um, going back to the value comment, I think that's so true, especially for military members, James. I'm sure you agree too. Like getting out of the military. We don't know how to negotiate salaries. We don't know anything about that. So the first salary you get, if it's anywhere near your base pay, you're like, sign me up. I, I want to <laughs> I, I just make sure everything's good and I'm doing the same stuff I was doing in the military and all the money looks the same. And like, I made that mistake when I first got out. And then three months in, I'm like, hold on, like, let me uh, let me go interview. And I realized I was keeping myself short there. So I think that's that's so important for military and everybody. Like I tell folks, no matter how happy you are in a job, go interview every, somewhere else so that you always know your worth, like consistently mm-hmm. interview and find out like, what are you worth? And then what don't you have? Because the interview will tell you like you, a lot of people think, oh, I can go make 150. Oh, you probably can't like go find out and get, get rejected a few times. And you'll see that you're not quite there yet. And then find out why, and then you can work towards that. Um, and I think well, that helps you find in your value. I think you have to kind of, you're, you're right, AJ, when people leave the military, they know nothing about negotiating a salary, none at all. But you know what? Most college kids don't know how to negotiate a salary. Most people who are quiet and get their job done don't know how to negotiate a salary. The only people who know how to negotiate a salary from my experience, and again, I'm generalizing here, so please like, don't let the comment section blow up, right? But are typically the people who know how to talk but don't know how to do. (laughs) People who interview. I mean, I talk about this all the time when I hear from – people who say oh like resume for resumes that's one that i it grind like it, you want to see me get real riled up a manager <laughs> will like be like oh the, the resume i'm like these people are not professional resume writers like mm. they're working this person's been working for eight years in a company like of course it's not going to be the flashy perfect resume that you're seeing out there that people are constantly looking for a job you know folks that interview 
You know, if you're doing your work and you're interviewing a ton, I mean, if you're, you know, down deep in your work, that means that you're not necessarily out there interviewing all the time. Mm -hmm. So you might not be the, they might not be the very best interviewer per se, but that doesn't mean that they don't fit the role and they're not a good fit. So I'm constantly telling folks like, you know, you got to set your expectations and 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 realize that these are humans like we are all humans and to your point i mean james james and aj i've done a lot of um i would go to is it called tap yeah the tap tap right and go and talk about this talk about like negotiating salaries in particular for military for veterans coming out because i wanted people to be aware you know like do your research as much as you can know your worth, know what's going on out in the marketplace, because I understand that the pop, I'm not a veteran. Thank you all for your service, especially during this week and this month. Um, but realizing like, you may not know, like I might, I, sometimes I tell people like, Hey, you, you know, <laughs> you're asking for what? <laughs> like it should be, you know, it should be more, you, you know, your range should be around here with the level of experience that you have. And people have even asked me sometimes, should they, some some of the folks that have like a lot of experience and they're trying to, again, when they're looking for work, this happened, um, I, I'm thinking of a person who I worked with a lot last year, they were looking for work and they would ask, um, you know, should I lowball myself or should I, you know, should I say a, a certain number that's not within the worth? And I told them, I said, look, sometimes when you're too cheap, it looks bad too. Like they, it doesn't line up. So if you're, supposed to be if I'm looking for a person that's supposed to be around 150 and you're saying you're 90k I'm like something this guy didn't really do all of this then like something's off so you really want to kind of do that research and understand what it is you're looking for I mean like where you really should be fitting in um and I would recommend people talk to talk to peers talk to leaders you know outside of the you know just salary.com and things like that but you can kind of you can go and talk to other peers and talk to leaders and look at the different statistics and see where you fit in, um, because you don't want to, you definitely want to shoot yourself way over and you don't want to be going way, you know, way down either. Um, because when it doesn't align, it's like, you're going to buy a car again, going to buy a car, going to buy a house. Like this Mercedes is supposed to cost 50 and it's 35. Like what, (laughs) what's going on here? (laughs) You know? So a couple more comments. CISO Thursdays. Who's this? Chris, Chris Van Gorder is here. He says Cecil Thursdays. He's excited. Danielle is here. Yay. Negotiating a salary is a skill that can be practiced and learned. I 100% agree about that. Roger says here the old gift of gab to get a higher salary. (laughs) (laughs) It is true. Andre says these are recruiters calling me after finding my resume on websites. Okay. So when we said to, um, Andre, that you shouldn't be applying. Andre is saying they found him. So these are recruiters looking for him, finding him and saying, hey, this is the this is the salary. And he's like, goodbye, which I, I 100% agree. You know, like somebody calls me up and says certain numbers like, sorry, can't help you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, OK, so. Who is this? Salendra wants to know, could you comment on the role of security in regards to the business continuity aspect of any company? How important is it for cybersecurity professionals to understand what value security brings to the business proactive and reactive? 
wants to take that baby? Naomi. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was like, I have a good answer for this one. So this is funny because it. one of the interview questions I like to ask is, what's the role of security at a company? And I can tell their level of maturity by their answer. So like, uh, I'll just put you on the spot. Uh, James, what's the role of security at a company? Uh, um, secure it? <laughs> <laughs> So, so that answer is, is fine. Um, but I, I, was, I was looking for something like uh, to enable the business to move forward in a secure or risk-free manner as possible. So I think that is a more Did mature you just say risk-free? Well, more of a risk-free manner as okay. possible. Okay. As risk-free like, as possible, yeah. <laughs> but um, so if your job was to just secure the enterprise, then yeah, you just turn off, off access to everything. Like everyone gets a Chromebook. <laughs> And no one gets to go on the internet. Like there are very easy ways to secure an enterprise, but if they're going to do anything, you know, you have to let them do stuff and it's going to include risk. So one of the questions I ask and I can get their level of maturity and their answer is what is security for a business? And if they say, Hey, it's just to lock everything down. Then I'll be like, well, um, that's not the point. That's not really what I'm going for. So if you understand this question, it's like, how important is it for new cybersecurity professionals to understand what value security brings to the business. If you are answering the way that James did, sorry, James, but if you're saying, hey, it's just I give you a bad example. I yeah, wanted you yeah, to give exactly, a good thank one. Thank you, thank you. James was my, my noob. But if you said it's just to secure the business and don't really let this business do anything, then I'll say, well, let's take another look at that because that's what a new person would say. Like, I get that. But the longer you're in security, the more you realize it's actually almost the opposite. You want to enable the business. You want to get them as secure as possible, moving forward as, po as fast as possible in a risk-free manner as possible. That's what I like to say. It's kind of like IT, you know, like IT is there to help enable the business. They're going to give them the tools and the services and the products that they need to move forward. And it's security is the same way. You know, you're going to hold their hand sometimes, but they're going to move forward with or without you. And you want them to use your expertise and your experience and you help them move forward. You are a service for the business. That is the answer I like to hear. Yeah. You bring up a really good point, which is um, it goes back to people who want to get a job in security is, do you understand the business? Do you understand the business side of security? Especially when you're looking at like director levels or VP, like let's get out of entry level for just a moment, right? Let's look at for either promoting from within or bringing someone to build a new team or or lead a new team. Do you understand business? Um, do you know how to enable? Do you know how to make security not a red line on the budget sheet, but but a black line, like a positive contributor to the business? And I'm not talking about semantics of we've stopped all of these threats. And every threat equals some imaginary number that's based on a report that some vendor put out, I'm sorry, AJ, to support yeah. something for a technology they're trying to sell, um, but rather a real actual business drivers. And I think smart CISOs, and I'm lucky because when I do CISO talk, I speak to so many brilliant peers. I've had Naomi on. You know, I just had Gary Hayslip on this week. Thank you, Renee. Mm -hmm. um, you got a shout out, by the way. Love, love, love Gary Hayslip. <laughs> but you, you, you listen to all these, the very smart CISOs. And I think if more leaders listen to that is how do you make security part of the sales process? How does it add value in the sales? How does it add value in what you're selling, in the software you're selling? How does it become an extra 10 or 15% margin? Because you can charge a little bit more because of the security programs you're, you're, you're putting in place. 
those are really, really important points um, that like people who want to get a job in cyber need to know. And most universities, most certs don't teach them that. So we have the gap, the entry level gap and the CISO gap. Right. And in the middle, we have people that are supposed to learn on the fly, but no one's teaching them on the fly. Because if you're a red teamer, people are like, go do your pen test, write your report, give it to me, come into the meeting, shut up. Don't say a thing. Say what I tell you to say. Read those bullets and leave. Go do the other pen test. Seriously, I can't tell you how many people I speak with in organizations that that's where. So they're not given the opportunity to develop. We're not growing from within. Yeah. Right. Don't even get me started on growing from within. We're we're not. That's that's next week's topic. (laughs) Like, but but that's a challenge. And it's a challenge that starts. um, um, It's a challenge that starts for us as CISOs. I take personal responsibility for it because it's on us to educate our peers in our community, right? When we're at conferences, when we're speaking on panels, when we're doing podcasts, is how do we promote from within? How do we create a culture where even if you want to hire someone who's got way more skills, but the only position you have is an entry-level position that he's going to take for $20,000 a year less than what he would normally earn. Can you give that person a track, a timeline to get him not only to where he should be, but also remove that that glass ceiling that probably would have been in the place anywhere else. Meaning, could he excel and within two years reach a position that in other places would take three or four years to do it? Yeah, right. yeah. I think uh, James, what you said is is really key. I, I I've seen a lot of security programs in in my in my day to day work, and the best security programs are the ones that you can see it on their website. You can see it in their materials where they're selling security. When that CISO or that security manager has convinced the business that security is something that can help drive business, they get to do whatever they want. Their budget is ridiculous. They get to do things. They get to have all the tools they want, the people they need, because they've convinced management that it's a business, a wise business decision to do it. And I think that's the part where if we can convince more of our security professionals that are in these roles to security is a differentiator, especially nowadays. Like you, you can use it to differentiate yourself from your competitors. And when you do that, you're going to get more money. You're going to get more budget. You're going to be able to do more things. But like you said, a lot of security practitioners are grown up to where they're just taught to do tasks. They just do things and they're not taught about the business and understanding how this flows and participating in sales and participating in these conversations to hear what are the questions customers are asking? What do they care about? What are the things that they actually care about that um, maybe what or what are your competitors saying about security that you're not doing? Uh, I think that's where we can get really strong security individuals that do cross that threshold and get from outside on the kitty table and get to sit at the big table with all the other executives. <laughs> and Naomi talks about this a number of times, being able to sell, um, being able to really understand the business and how it can be a driver. So Thank you all are making some really can, valid can, points. I want to inject something here and I want to ask Naomi this. And then this is a question for you, AJ. So how many vendors, when you're getting a pitch, build their technology as part of the business case for you to sell cyber up in the business? Well, uh, you know, they help me sell it, at least champion their their tool. But I wouldn't say too often. Um, well, some, some of them do, but I, I don't think... All of them do for sure. It's like uh, maybe 50. Like think how powerful it is if a vendor comes to you and goes, you're going to spend X amount of dollars on my tool, but my tool is going to allow you to do this, which is going to translate to more. Oh, into ROI. Yeah, like zero. But not not fake ROI, ROI that you can take and put on the website, put under your security maturity program that becomes an enabler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Powerful. I talk to a lot of vendors and I've never seen them be like, here's how much ROI you can expect. Uh, AJ, I would love that. That would help me. Run with it. <laughs> AJ, that, take that. Take, take that little note. <laughs> I'll get Andre, right on that. <laughs> Andre says, great point when it comes to salary negotiation. As a recent retiree, I agree 100%. It was hard for me to correlate my experience and skills to a dollar amount. Um, and Roger wants to know, so is it okay to ask the interviewer what the range of the salary they are expecting to pay before an interview considers answering the salary expectation? Absolutely. One of the, Definitely. Uh, the things I do and I've done in past interviews is I force them to tell me something and I, and I frame it in a way that makes them feel like they have to. So I say, uh, you know, I expect to be paid what you value in this role. And in the job description, they say what they value, what this role is going to do and all these things are going to do. And I explain to them, like, you're saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I know your company is a Fortune 500 company. You guys had X amount in revenue last year. So I expect to be paid consummate for what this job description says. And after that, they have to just throw it out there because they think in their mind that you're asking for a lot more money than what they probably can afford because they should be paying more money. So then they're just like, all right, look, the role is this. Is that going to be fine? And then you can get you know, your, your thought. And I think that's the, it's kind of an interview trick where you put it on them and tell them like, hey, this is what you're asking. This is what your company's doing. It's how much money you guys made. And I know my skills and I know what I'm worth in the industry. So what do you have? What are you, what are you going to pay me? And I think that's a lighter way to go around it but if, if you just want to be straight up you also i agree with you renee like ask them you, you should you should yeah get this. you can mean. ask for a range you should I, I mean you should ask for ranges i agree i like i like that i like i like what you said aj because it does make you think like oh boy this person's gonna be they could <laughs> they're not cheap <laughs> they're expensive you could get all of me for one year instead of one ninety nine for one seventy nine right now, right now one seventy nine. Call now. Sign for a year. I'll be in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty one. The price yeah, goes up. <laughs> we are upping our prices in fifteen minutes. <laughs> You know, to completely oh, switch gears, though, Renee, I don't know if you wanted to talk more about this, but according to the research that I did with the data, it also turns out that executives are most likely to be searching for jobs. So if you look at the number of applications to each of the jobs, on average, executives score much higher with number of applications than other uh, career level roles. Because so I always thought that was interesting too. Because executives are always looking to move around, right? You have 18 a, months. Yeah, every 18 yeah. months. Well, yeah. One, it's burnout. Number two mm -hmm. is you start to see um, negligent decision-making. And we've, listen, we've had enough big breaches to know as a CISO that when I see red flags, I'm walking away because I'm not going to be there when the hammer comes down. Because when it does happen, yeah. We're on the chopping block and our reputations are destroyed. You go to any any cyber news website, you go to Bleeping Computer or 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 you know, any any one of those other guys. I forgot them all right now. Uh ZDNet or any one of those other websites, CSO online, whatever. It's gonna be like company so and so got breached, CISO so and so terminated or put on leave, or yeah. um we'll be moving to an advisor role, yeah. right? Which pretty much <laughs> means like, you know, what, what we're I mean. What they say uh, CISO stand for? Something chief something. chief, uh, chief internal scapegoat officer. Scapegoat officer, yeah. I do have a t-shirt that has a goat on it. 
and and it says CISO, um, um, you know, and it's it, it, it's funny. Like we, I made these T-shirts like two years ago, and I gave them away at That's one awesome. of my um, one of my CISO cocktails that we used to do before you know COVID came through, when we'd get together, and I used to make like fun T-shirts for everyone, and like you know, give them some fun stuff that they would have some swag. Yeah. So Earl, um, Charles, Chris Van Gorder says, Earl Schaub, I'll paint any car for 99 Brilliant. Let's go. Naomi, you need a paint job? No, not for, <laughs> not, not for 100 bucks. Yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> you never know. It might be a really good paint job. You're right. It could be flames on the side. Um, but to Naomi's- what about like the, the racing stripe right yes, in the middle? the racing stripe. With the that. Let's go back to Fast and Furious. Everyone go 20 years and watch the first Fast and Furious now. <laughs> You'll be done by next week. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But Naomi, that you know, to your point, to your the data shows, you know, and it, it goes back to what I think about when I think about the entry level side and and training staff and bringing in staff and being able to have that longevity at a company to be able to think about okay, how long is it going to take me if I do bring in a couple interns or some more entry level staff, right? Um, so. You know, I, I've seen those numbers and I know them actually pretty well. It didn't surprise me to see that, you know, there was a lot of turnover on the the, super, the leadership side, the directors of security and the CISOs, and then obviously all the way at the, down at the bottom. And I think what your data showed was that there were a lot of applicants to um, CISO roles, right? Yes. So a lot, a lot of applications and things like that. And that, that doesn't surprise me either. And it, you know, when I, when I really take a, a, a little bit of a macro view of it all, it's just like, there's so many converging things that are happening. And one of the things that I think about when it comes down to the entry level side is if these people are turning over every year and a half or two years, of course, you're going to need somebody with five, seven years experience because you don't even have the time to bring in, you know, somebody junior. Right. Because by the yeah. time they you need two years to get to get somebody from real deal entry level, like straight out of undergrad, straight out of community college, straight out of high school, whatever, or boot camp or program and get them like functional. Yeah, that's going to take that's going to take a while. You know, what's interesting so, though, Renee, like on the other end of that, the entry level roles had a very low number of applicants. So like people aren't even trying. Like, because if you look at why the would they? If I know, they're, they're giving but, up before they even try. Like, it's, but, it's, it's, but your data role, said, I'm sorry, go ahead, Renee. If I see a role, if I'm a recruiter and I have two years or one year experience or zero, well, you know, it's supposed to be entry level. And they say they're looking for somebody for five with five years experience. I'm, I'm probably not going to apply. Like I'm just not. And they're going not. To do it. Yeah, the data is showing that uh, the number of applications for an entry level role is much much lower than like all the yeah, other categories. I forget where it falls. Why would anybody? This, why would anyone do that? Yeah, it doesn't. Pay would you low. apply to a job no, with an right, for 35 right. years of CISO experience? Like, <laughs> James, what were you gonna say? Yeah. Well, sorry, I was James. gonna say that you see often, um, f- you, like you said, 43 percent of the entry level roles, right? like required like five years of experience in CISP. And so the reason you don't see a lot of applicants is because they go, I've got two years of experience. I don't have a CISP, right? I've got a certified ethical hacker or a security plus or whatever. And so I'm not even going to apply for it. And I mean, and that's, and that's really where it all boils down to 
is the fact that 43% of those entry-level positions have unrealistic entry-level ex- You can't no even one- get a CISSP with zero years experience. Right. No, <laughs> you can't even get one. Yeah. No, but 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 you have you have these these yeah. un, un, unrealistic mm-hmm. standards that are put in place and we've talked about it the what I like to call the HR signature like the HR disclaimer on every job description and every job posting that must have a bachelor's degree that must, must, you know, these standards that are decided in HR without really consulting the rest of the organization. And, you know, because they feel like that'll bring them better talent. It'll, it'll, you know, the company should have some sort of standard in or And part of it, by the way, is because we're a, we're a lawsuit happy culture. Right. Yeah. Like if someone doesn't get hired for a job when they qualify for it, they have no problem going to a lawyer and sending a letter and going like they didn't hire me because, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, I whatever can tell you reason. that those don't really. I mean, in my humble experience over almost 20 years, they, the, the external saying like, oh, I didn't get the, the job for whatever reason typically doesn't pan out well. Hmm. You don't get a lot of people doing that. But I, I do, James, agree with the, the point about the. um you know, the, the legality or, you know, we've we've told our customers or we've told, like I said before, this was one that was shocking, kind of mind box. You know, I scratched my head on one scenario I had big four or big 10 consulting, you know, major consulting company had this awesome person with all the experience. They didn't have the degree, but they had the 15 years. They had all every single Every everything else on the job description matched the resume. They had the they they wanted someone who was going to be a senior manager, who was going to be also you know understood the sales pipeline, had delivered X amount of millions of dollars and say you know selling in this space and from a different you know a, a competitor. All this stuff, like every everything, every single thing, perfect looking candidate, but didn't have the degree. And when I asked the question. Um, you know, what came back to me was it was just too, uh, it, it was, they didn't want to like die on a sword for this scenario. Like, because everyone else had a degree, everybody else had this stuff, everybody else, the whole company or whatever had, you know, these degrees and these certain certifications. So with that said, if I bring this person to the table, it's just going to pretty much turn over the whole apple cart and everybody's going to start asking questions and I don't want to be the person. I don't want the one chip that I have. I don't use, I don't want to use it for this. <laughs> and so I was just like, okay, you know, like it's unfortunate, but this is the leader. And I mean, again, as you all know, if you're in these big four, or big 10 or whatever consulting companies and you are, hiring a senior manager, that means you're all the way at the top. Like there's not many more roles on top of that one. Yeah. It's like director and whatever, executive, you know. So these were all the people that were like, mm, let's just keep looking and, and try to find somebody else. Yeah. So it does happen and it does, it, there, there is a component of, um, I, I, I don't know if it's optics per se or legality or looking at, okay, like what's going to happen with the rest of my team if I bring in this person or the rest of the organization or whatever, if I make an exception for this scenario. A um, couple comments coming in. Roger said, if the lawsuit is a merited, it doesn't go far and can cost the person that files it. Yeah, those lawsuits, I mean, again, I you know, I've seen thousands at this point point of people like go through the, the interview process. And I think one time I remember it kind of got, it wasn't even a real lawsuit. It was just like a complaint. And then when we pulled all the data, you couldn't really, there was nothing to justify. Um, 
And it, it, it was really hard, you know, and, and these people, what happens is people don't realize like who they're up against. Like you don't know, unless you're really, unless you're an attorney or you're somebody like, okay, I'm going to be the woman and you're going to be the man and we both apply, you know, like that kind of a thing. But when you're really trying to apply for a job, you don't know who else is applying. You don't know right. who else is interviewing. You don't know what the slate looks like. So, yeah. um, Safir wants to know what so many people don't understand is they can find talent in entry level and develop them for the future. So many of these jobs postings just want ready, uh, ready made people for no reason. Yeah. Yep. I think uh, we have to, people are so scared to train people. They're so scared to invest and they all don't have enough time to train someone. Yeah, you do. And if you train them, you're going to create a really great and strong resource. And we have to be willing to train people. I think that's part mm -hmm. of the problem as well is where well, we're not willing to put in the work to train people and get them better. We just want someone that shows up and knows mm -hmm. everything, knows all the things already from the beginning. It's like just invest in people and the results mm -hmm. are going to be exponentially better than if you found someone ready made. They're going to be more loyal, too. They're going to yep. want to stay. Yep. 100%. Yeah, they're they're going to be in a in a in a different um the the, the challenge you have with what, that AJ is people don't want not only do they not want to train, training costs more money. And training someone costs money and a lot of times who's going to pay for it, right? So, you can say it's a 50-50 split. So, I'll hire you at 50 grand a year, you're not going to make your 80. Yeah. But then I'm going to train you and you're going to be worth 80 in a year. Are you willing to do that? Yeah, I think that's, right. the, that's, that's the part right there is if if a person is willing to break into this industry, the one thing I love about cybersecurity is growth. You can grow fast if you want to, if you work with, if like if you, if you get a good opportunity and grow, but it's that part right there, James, is like, are you going to commit and say, all right, I'll start here, but I'm going to work my tail off to get to, to whatever that next level is. And that's the hard part. A person who did that and is sitting in the CISO chair today is Kurt John. He's the CSO over at Siemens. Kurt, 10 years ago, started as a certified ethical hacker pen tester. Today, he's a CISO for a Fortune 500. Wow. Oh, boom. 10 years. Yeah. Boom. boom. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It happens. Right. And it, it does. There it goes. Right there. That's, it that's does, what you Right. It does happen. It works. But yeah, you got to be able to go in, train, and... You as an employee who's willing to take, you got to take that training seriously. You got to put on your blinders. Don't look at what you can make somewhere else for a little bit and just focus on your training, focus on the job, you know, understand a little bit of the company that's investing in you and, and build it out. Yep. yep. And totally. build your career, build your reputation. Yeah. I have a couple of CISOs that that literally is what they've done. They're going to start coming on here too and be some special guests, but definitely have been hearing from folks who love who watch this love what we have to say and want to bring in their opinion and share with people who you know these are CISOs who've grown up in the field started in different backgrounds you know had different backgrounds and then they come in and they train staff and you know a person I was talking to a couple weeks ago who um will likely be on the next couple weeks he was, he said he had like six entry level roles. He, you know, hired all these entry level people recently um, to be able to train, to bring them in junior and train them up. So folks are paying attention to us. Woohoo. Um, 
I think this is Chris Van Gorder again says, and if you train them, mentor them, think about it, which is the truth. Absolutely. And then Keith says your performance in interviews and the quality of your resume comes down to preparation. Your preparation says a lot about your competence and professionalism. And I agree. Can can I just say one last thing here? Go ahead. Um, for it. Which is when we do cyber, we're not doing cyber with technology. We're not doing cyber with computers. We're doing, and we're building our programs with people. Yep. And we refuse to invest in the one thing that's critical to our security program, people. It's crazy. All technologies can never replace people. I don't care what people say, AI, mm-hmm. quantum. There's a human element of four people like us talking right now that if AI was doing it, could you imagine how boring this conversation would be? <laughs> Danielle says, I'm excited to say I got an internship with CyberRage. Mazel tov. Congratulations. And Roger says, the human element, we are at the one hour mark. This is all is fun, has always been fun. And AJ's like, I had enough, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> Thanks for having me so, on. Absolutely. AJ. Oh, Renee. Uh-oh. AJ, I think what she meant to say is um, she's given you the last minute here to pitch Bite Check and your new company that you launched yesterday. So go for it. Right. I won't pitch the company. What I will pitch is this. I hate going to a website and downloading a document and I have to put my email in. It just really frustrates me because I don't want to buy the service. I just want the content. And tomorrow we will have a white paper coming out with everything that you need to know about SOC 2. And you'll be able to download it directly from our website. CISO Mag is helping us put it together, but you won't have to give, give up your email. I don't want your email to put you in a bunch of spam automated sessions. Just get the content, learn about SOC 2 from the Byte Check website. And uh, whenever we release content, that's how it will be. We're not going to ask for yeah. your email because I despise that. And what's the point of running a company if you can't do things you want, right? So. Um, that's, that's the pitch. That's the five. Yay. My favorite person lets me download a white paper without having to go get like a 15 minute email address (laughs) so I can get it and then never trash it. Exactly. Exactly. I have all of the, that's, that's, that's a security thing. All security people have their email they use to download the white papers. Like I don't want that in in, in MailChimp. I don't need you. I don't need your email in my newsletter subscriber list. That doesn't make any sense. There you go. Hilarious. Hilarious. Thank you so much, AJ, for being here. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you, Mr. James Azar. And we will be back next Thursday for another edition of CISO Thursdays. Thursdays. <laughs> thank your veterans this month, folks. Thank you, veterans. Yes, thank you, James. Thank you, AJ, protecting us, defending us, and making sure that, uh, you know, we can be here talking freely in the United States of America. Freedom. All right, (laughs) folks. Bye, everybody. Bye. See ya.